very happy to say I'm here with Michael Gibbs, wonderful guy, wonderful composer, legendary, and very amusing. And uh, here we are. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. Michael Gibbs, um, the thing that I want to talk to you about is a little statement that Pat Metheny said to me, and I think it, it's interesting in the way that it applies to you. He told me that uh, people are always asking him, how do you develop a unique voice? How do you develop your own thing? And, of course, Pat tries to tell them, and so he, has, he has many things that he says to them. He says things such as, you follow what you love, follow your, 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 your musical loves. But, but uh, what I'm interested in is there is a certain breed of artist, which I think you are a great example of, who didn't have to uh, follow any particular uh, technique to find your own voice. You really found your own voice. So you found a new way of making music. You found a new way of making something that everybody said, what on earth was that? So what I want to know is, when, when did that first moment come when you were, obviously you've been involved in music, but when was the first moment when you wrote something you thought, hey, that's, 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 really, that's really quite interesting. That's something, and I tried that and it kind of worked. When was that moment? Well, <coughs> uh, I'm... Not sure it worked like that. Well, first of all, uh, I, d I think it's extremely difficult not to be unique. One's unique by default, and so I didn't have to try. I just did what what Pat said. I just followed my instinct, my heart, and what came out wasn't like anybody else. I still copy other people, but even when I copy, I probably don't do it well enough I mean, I once uh, I copied a, a, an idea, a flavor of Gil Evans, and when I recorded it, I had a lot of Gil's band in the band, and they said, oh, Gil, 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 and I was really touched by that. I liked that they recognized Gil, but mo mostly if I copy somebody else, uh, I don't do it well enough that they, anyone recognizes it. Right. So, but I never worried about trying to be unique or find my own voice. I just, I had my own voice whether I wanted it or not. It's interesting you say that thing about copying. I mean, we, we all are influenced by people and we all copy other people. But I always find when I copy other people, like, for instance, if I'm copying Ellington, somebody hears it and says, oh, that sounds like Cab Calloway. Or, you know, if, I, if I'm copying the Rolling Stones, they, they hear it and they say, oh, that sounds like Gil Evans. Oh, I love it. I love it. <laughs> Isn't it great? Cause when, but, but that's them putting their... Exactly. So, 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 so I'm never worried about it. Yeah, so it's not a problem to no, copy not, because nobody will notice it anyway. <laughs> and if they do, so what? <laughs> I mean, on film schools sometimes, uh, producers have already put their music on and they want music just like that. Yes. And uh, I mean, I have been embarrassed sometimes when I can hear where I nicked it from for their sake. Yes. And no one else notices this. No. Uh, but I'd, I'm uncomfortable with it. And, and how do you like the thing when you write something for a director, and they say, we want it to sound exactly like Mozart. And you write it to sound like Mozart, and they say, Ugh, that doesn't sound like Mozart at all. That sounds like uh, uh, Mick Jagger. You know, and you say, well, no, actually, it sounds like, you know, and you've copied it. So then you try to get it closer, closer to the thing that they want. And the closer you get to it, the more they want it even closer, yeah, until yeah. the point where you're actually 
copying in out note for note. Oh, it's dangerous. Yeah, yeah, it's very. I, think, I don't like being in that. that area. But the thing is, if yeah. you want the job, you yeah. got to do. You know, I was once asked to do, although this is about you and not about me. I'm doing some talk anyway. Uh, I wa I was once asked to do a jingle where I had to do a record copy of another recording, but they they couldn't use the other recording. Yeah. So they said. We can't use it, but we want you to make a, a record that sounds exactly like this other recording. So I tried and I tried and I got, you know, I, I thought it sounded, and, and the, uh, the uh, person who was in charge said, no, no, it doesn't. It really, it's still not right. What's wrong with you? I thought you were competent. I thought you could. So finally, I took the other record and, <laughs> and I actually gave them the other record. And they said, well, it's still not right, but I guess it's usable. Oh, right. That's who you're, who you're dealing with. <laughs> That's who you're dealing with. Yeah. But let's. But I want to talk about some of the some of the sounds that you found because there are certain sounds where, you know, I think most musicians who love your music, which is a legion of billions of people around the world, but most people who know your music would say, would hear something and say, "Oh, that's a very Mike Gibbs sound." Now. Why do you th why do you think they say that, and what kinds of things that you've written would you say they say it to? I can't answer that. I don't know. Well, I, Isn't it great to have such a great guy interviewing you to ask <laughs> questions like this? I can't. I, I, I have no idea. I mean, uh, I, I, I'm kind of uh, not very. Um, uh, I, I don't notice in bad intonation often, uh -huh. and I think sometimes the bad intonation <laughs> sort of sounds like my bad. Well, I'm not sure that it's a bad intonation. That the thing is, I've always got good musicians, <clears throat> so that it's unlikely that they're out of tune. Mind you, I did have a, a bad intonation situation once that I've gotten some slack for, and I can't, when I listen to it back, I can't tell what, what it is. There is out of tuneness, but I can't tell why. It was on Journey Mitchell's project. Oh, and, really? Paprika Plains. And, and I, when she made the Mingus album. Oh, right. Apparently, I've read bits on the internet when she started working with Mingus. She played him there. Mm -hmm. And his only comment was, wow, those strings are out of tune. Oh, right. And when I go back, I, I, mean, I don't think they're out of tune for the whole thing. They, they, it's a, it's a nine-minute section of music. It's and, big. <clears throat> and there's one moment where it's out of tune, but that's all a lot of people hear. But anyway, the thing is that this endeared uh, Joni to, to Mingus, and right. it, they, they then you know, got working more. So it, it turned out to be a plus, but it was a negative. Mm. And the thing is, you know, Jaco <coughs> got me the gig in the first place. Right. Uh, his first comment was, wow, those strings are out of tune. Oh. The thing is, I, 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 I must have noticed it at some time, but not early enough. Right. So the, whether that's my sound yeah, or not, well, I don't know. No, no, I, I don't think it's that. Uh, let, me, let me suggest another thing the way you, where I, I think people would say, oh, that's a very Mike Gibbs kind of sound. Uh, the, uh, we were talking last night about your big fat triad voiced when, and, and one instrument is playing flat nine. You know, you've got this great, huge, big fat G triad, and then there's one little guy in there playing an A flat. That that's very much your your kind of sound. Well, the thing the, the thing is, it, it's not just a. a in fact, the, the the instance I remember okay. is a big a C triad uh -huh. with a G sharp in it. Okay. The thing is that the C triad is huge. It's like the ocean, yes. and the G sharp is a mere grain of 
sound. Yes, exactly. And it's not like C E G G sharp. It's no, C no. E G and this ambient noise including a G sharp. So That's it's right. it's the ratio of the yes. of the timbre, the volume, etc. of these other notes. Yes, now I, I love to work that other I mean, I, told, I mentioned yesterday how for the last 10 years, which seems like a minute to me, uh, I'm learning what notes to leave out. And I loved all my voicing, way of discovering, because it's a wonderful world to live in. But uh, after a while, I started to leave out notes. Oh, what happened was I would write an arrangement, go to a different band, and there would be instruments missing, and it sounded better huh. because some notes were... So I started working on leaving notes out. <laughs> it's cheaper, too. <laughs> <laughs> and, well, and then recently with this Monk project I did, I mean, Monk plays this big an E-flat and a D, a flat nine down, and that's all. And, I, and with a voice... Voicing, you know, in the chord symbol, <coughs> yeah. the chord, and I, I'm going through the chord, trying all these notes, and none of them sound like monk. And then eventually, I just had the trombones play E flat and the D, and it sounded, it fitted. It was Why right. not? So, but, but I couldn't adopt this, adapt it to myself overnight. I, mm. I had to. Each time I had a situation, it took me a long time to let go of these notes that I had found. But I'm eventually doing it quicker now. Hmm. I can leave leave out notes, and it's you know what happens is the, the rhythm section's playing the notes you leave out, or uh, the guitarist or the pianist. Right. So again, it's a, it's just it's there, but it's less of it. It's and percentage. It seems, yes, and yeah. it seems to work. Yeah. So, but I mean, the, you know, I, I feel like. A, Getting on now, but I'm still discovering yes. these things the same way I did when I was a student. Right, right. And so it's, it's, it's very... Well, uh, I remember when, when uh, I was a student in your class, the very first day you came to class, uh, uh, we sometimes reminisce about, uh, about that. When you walked in, you just sort of sat there and you said, well, what would you like to talk about? Because we thought you'd have all this stuff prepared for us. And, and, and it was the first day, it's obviously your first day, and you didn't have anything prepared, and our hearts sank. We thought, oh, oh no, this guy had that. So, but no, it's okay, because then I, he said, you said, what would you like to talk about? And, and we sort of thought, uh-oh, we're sunk. Well, okay, let's give it a try. And we talked about, I just asked a question, I believe it was me who asked a question about one of your pieces, and I said, well, what on earth were you thinking, Mike, about when you were writing that piece? And then we thought, okay, now we got something because you said, oh yes, yes, I can talk about that. So you, so you went over to the uh, piano and you said, well, you know, one day I was sitting at the piano and I played this voicing, and you played one of your beautiful Mike Gibson voicings, and you said, I just thought it sounded so nice. And then, then you just sat there. And we waited, and we waited, and we waited, and we thought, we're sunk. And then, then you finally got, I said, uh, Mike, well, what was the next thing you thought? And uh, the next thing you said, you got up, and you said, ah, yes, well, then I decided I'd look at that, and you wrote it up on the blackboard, and I, you said, I noticed this interval, and this interval was kind of what was making it sound nice, so then I wrote this, and then I wrote that, and you showed how the compositional element of the whole piece was based on your enjoyment, your your sort of oral enjoyment of that particular interval and that voicing. And then the method came in of the madness. And so you always have a method, but it's come, it stems from that oral pleasure of that initial voicing. Oh, Richard, I'm glad you said that. Yes. No, I, yeah, I, because, you know, I've been asked a couple of times about writing 
a book about my methods. But when I talk to a, a class and I start to talk about this area that's just before music, before you start talking C-sharps, uh, which has to do with the, my physical, emotional response to a sound. And I see uh, glazed eyes coming, and they don't want to get into that territory. And so then I, I meet another class, and I'll ask them, well, what do you want to talk about? And they say this, and I know my answer already has to do with this area, and I'm trying to figure out how can I say it in such a way that it's interesting. Mm. And I haven't found... What I've been doing is making it shorter than my, my spiel, uh, so that I, before they get glazed and fall asleep, I... You know, I can quickly jump back to saying what they want, which is techniques and things. Yeah. Uh, but I haven't quite found uh, how to talk. Yeah. How to talk about it in a way that's interesting to this. Yeah, I, I. So I've never written the book. Sure. But, yeah. you, but the but, thing is, but, like I will. Said, but what you've just said, you you you, you heard it. Yes. And you, you've taken it in. So if yes. you can, then it means it's, it's I, I'm sure a few people have have have. Uh, but I want, to, I want to do it in such a way that it's interesting to them. So I know I've got to tie a technique into it, like say, I've got to say it in musical terms and mm -hmm. not in, they don't want to, they well, probably want to hide from themselves. If they have ears, I'm sure it's interesting to them. Well, if, I hope uh, so. if, they're, if they're lazy and deaf, then you've got no choice. Yes. yes. Uh, but let me talk a little bit also about, what. let me ask you, this, here's, a, here's a good question. What was the most fun musical project you've ever done in your life. And you've done a lot of fun musical oh. projects, my dear fellow. So, Well, the f uh, I mean, I know there were a lot, but the first one that comes to mind is uh, John McLaughlin's Apocalypse album. Actually, I wasn't at the re at much of the recording. I, uh -huh. I was there for one day at the beginning. Then I went on the road and came back for just pre the mix. Uh -huh. And I, I well, of working on it, though, you know, me at home at the piano and Getting into the music, which yeah. is which is incredibly thrilling, full music. Mm. Or it was a huge thrill. Mm. I mean, not only because it was also a for symphony orchestra mm -hmm. with a large jazzy band. I mean, yeah. the second Mahavishnu band. Sorry about that. Uh, but it was fun, and, and working with John was fun. I, a lot of the fun had to do with discovering this music, which. Yeah, it's sure. a whole new thing to me. It's still rich to me. You know, it still feeds me with ideas. Jo John's, you know, having uh, seven bars, eight bars, and nine bars, and then the drummer has three lots of eight bars. Yes, then, yes. I mean, uh, okay, so it might not be so grand, but it was very new to me. Uh -huh. I, it, it, it broke a lot of rules, which is what I love to do. Right. Uh, anyway, so that was a big, big, big thrill. And of course, it generated a lot of interest. I got a lot of calls after uh -huh. that. Oh, good. We like that. So, oh, John, thanks a lot. Yeah, Let's right. do another one. <laughs> um, as far as your compositional, uh, your different compositions, um, obviously, all of our children are dear to us. But of all of your compositions, which was the most fun for you to write? Maybe it came out quickly, maybe it came out and you giggled. I mean, what was the one that you remember as being really fun to write? Well, there's two answers for that. Sweet Rain, I think I wrote in about 30 seconds. It literally had been, it was wow. like a boil, <coughs> and it burst. At 30, I mean, it right. came, fell out of my pencil. Right. But, but I enjoyed Family Joy because 
it came out. Uh, the the idea I got one little idea which suddenly developed into the whole piece. You know, I got I moved from this chord. Uh, uh, I don't know what to. I don't think in chord symbol terms, but good. Uh, C F B flat and C. Thank you. And for some reason, played the same chord on on A, and suddenly the piece. You know, I started doing uh -huh. moving the same movement with some half step movements as well. Right, right. It's only those two elements: this chord down a third, and then <coughs> down. A, sometimes moving another down, another down a third, and sometimes moving a half step, mm -hmm. and the whole piece came out. And then, in a sort of release, I, it went into uh, something that feels very joyous to me. It's just two, two sharp nine chords. Uh -huh. Anyway, see, the the elements seem very simple, but the the way it the, it. it it seemed to ha happen to me rather than me make it happen, and that so and that piece has lasted. It's been interesting to me ever since. Mm. I still find it interesting, mm -hmm. and also I thought, uh, from an, you know, not being an improviser, at least I mean I, I still hope that I could play a B flat blues, but I can't yeah. do much else. So, uh, but but so I thought these chords were not. Practical to an improviser, right? And then Kenny Wheeler was on the first date and just whipped through them like it was nothing, as he does. As he does, and 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 his improvising was always interesting to me because I could feel that I could hear him exploring the harmonics yes. and the fact that the, I liked what I had done, and then to hear somebody really make music yes. out of it, it's one That's of the great. most fun pieces for me. And then and then Ian Carkle said something about my music and mentioned that piece as being one of the most joyous uh -huh. pieces he's ever heard. And I really like that reaction. Mm. So that piece has fed me a lot. Great, great. Um, oh. Oh, yeah. See? See, there you go. <laughs> I need to lie down. <laughs> okay, well, okay. You can lie down. Let me ask you one more question. One more question is, uh, what are you working on now and, and what's your next uh, project apart from being paid a hundred million pounds. No, I'm not. No. I, 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 uh, you know, it's, I've been working non-stop until the gig I had the other yes. day. And I actually have a blank, a lot of blank space. But I am going to do some Upper Austria Jazz Orchestra. I'm, I'm doing a program we already did earlier this year, Swing and all that jazz. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I'm writing an arrangement for Tommy Smith's uh, orchestras. Oh, good. SM, Scottish, Scottish National Jazz Orchestra. Jazz, yeah. And it's this tour, this concert he's doing is with Errol Anderson. Uh -huh. And I'm arranging a piece of Errol's oh, for Errol for and this concert. Okay. So, and I've listened to the piece and it, it takes me into delicious ter territory. Not that I'm comfortable with it, but that I can explore it. And I have a nice chunk of time back from now to September. So I can. I mean, it's just. Perfect. So now you can. Now you can uh, start practicing trombone. Uh, I can, but I've got to learn. <laughs> I've got to learn Spanish first. Oh, okay, yeah. I've been living in Spain five years, and uh, I went to buy bread the other day, yes. and all I needed to say was, "She taught me dos barras, barras, two what? two loaves." Okay. Two. And she was almost cross. You've been here three years. This was two years. Ago. You've been here three years, and you can't. You know, how dare you? Mm. And she's right. But do you know the Spanish word for trombone? 
No. Oh, well, okay, that's that's a tragedy. I think you should no, at least know that. No, but I should. <laughs> I, I actually got my trombone out the other day because I was afraid that the slide would have rusted. Yes. Altogether. And I couldn't believe how slick it was. <laughs> After five years hidden in my closet there, I've got it. And so I did actually attempt to toot, and actually a note came out, awful okay. note, but it came out. Yes. So I have hope, and I'm Great. looking for an amateur band. Okay, in yeah. which to play third trombone. I think I can after I've done that, I'll, I'll audition for Banzilla. Banzilla. Yeah, that's right, because you're going to be third trom trombone in, in oh, Banzilla when, when it starts. It would be good to have a, a first, second, a third, a third, and a, a third, and a substitute you'll third. Be, and you'll be substitute third. That's that's the most, do you know that it's the funnest place to be because you have a, somebody great on lead like yes, Mark right. Nightingale and you yes. have a new hot kid on a trombone. A jazz, jazz, jazz chair, yes. No, who, you mentioned this uh, guy. Elliot Mason. Oh, yes, I'd love to meet him. A guy and then a, you have a really good bass trombone player and then my notes to sound wonderful in yeah, this company. Yeah, no matter what you play. Exactly. Yeah, so well, that's the best place to be. Yeah, good. Well, I, you've got the gig. You've got the gig. Thank you. And... Uh, I'm sure your trombone loves you, and so do we. So uh, thank you very much, Michael Gibbs. Thank you. The applause, right? Very good. And uh, goodbye, and uh, thank you thanks for listening. Much, hey, lover. Thinking of getting up close and intimate with your loved one tonight for a bit of romantic fooling around? Forget it, because I'm Richard Niles, and instead of playing Lady Penelope and the Butler, you could be under the covers listening to my podcast, Radio Richard, intriguing interviews and procreating performances from master musicians like Bob James, Lawrence Juber, Michael Brecker, or Leo Sayer. Hey, if you're not shagged out after that, there's always time for a little bit of uh, fun and games afterwards. Don't miss a moment of the fun. Subscribe to Radio Richard.